Today's scripture reading comes from the book of John, chapter 20, beginning in verse 24. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the other disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is the word of the Lord. Holy God, Thomas learned a valuable lesson on that first night when he met you again for the first time. Come to us as we gather here today and help us to learn as well. Help us to be as convinced as he was convinced. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. When I was in seminary, my New Testament professor came in one day and he divided our class into three groups. And the first group was to come up with what we thought were the five best characters in the Bible. The other group was to come up with what we thought were the five worst characters in the Bible. And then the third group was to come up with five individuals that we thought had gotten a bad rap from church history. Our professor was trying to show us how hard it is to do biblical interpretation, even and those of us who were very dedicated to the faith were training for the ministry. He, he knew we were going to have trouble trying to do this. He proved very well that day that we were very good Baptists because we didn't agree on much of anything. We struggled that day trying to come up with who we thought should be on those lists. The things that we agreed on were very clear. We agreed that Jesus was the best character in the Bible, that Satan was the worst character in the Bible. The only other thing that we agreed on that day was about the Apostle Thomas. We all agreed that the Apostle Thomas had gotten a bad rap from church history. In fact, he had gotten such a bad rap that his name had become a synonym for pessimism and doubt. Even in the secular world, if somebody says, oh, you're such a doubting Thomas, we know what they're talking about. I've heard people say that when I knew they had no idea where that had come from, but they would say it anyway because it has just become part of our lore. Last week we talked about Judas and how Judas had, 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 had betrayed Jesus, but his intention had never been for Jesus to die. He was trying to push Jesus along. Jesus was not becoming the king of Israel as fast as he wanted him to be, and so he was trying to get Jesus to go on and do what he knew Jesus needed to do. He was taking his home sweet time to get there, and Judas wanted him to hurry up. And so Judas decided to take things into his own hands and try to make it happen. He never expected Jesus to die. He just wanted him to go on and become the king so things would be better. But 
then Jesus was crucified instead of becoming the king, and Judas was horrified that his friend, his best friend, a man who had called him friend even when he went there to betray him, his friend was being tortured to death and had died on that cross. And so Judas repented, and he went back to the religious leaders, and he tried to get help, and they looked at him and said, what is this to us? This is your problem, not ours. And so when they did, Judas threw his 30 silver coins into the sanctuary of the temple, and he turned around, and Judas went out and hanged himself. Judas gave up before the end of the story. He had no idea what was coming next, and he forgot that God is in control of the world and not him. He knew that he had made the biggest mistake of his life, and he could see nothing out in front of him, and so Judas gave up before the story was over. If Judas had just waited three more days, that resurrection was just as much a gift to him as it was to any of the rest of the disciples. But Judas gave up before the end of the story. That's exactly what happened to Thomas. It just happened in a different way. When the, red, when, when the crucifixion was over and Jesus had been laid in that tomb, that 120 that had been following Jesus all gathered together and they went and hid in the upper room except for Thomas. But Thomas did not go with the rest of them. Thomas left and he went off to himself Thomas was heartbroken and he was grieving and he was struggling and, and he didn't know what to do and he didn't know what to make out of what had happened in those last few days. And so Thomas started to give up the same way that Judas gave up, except he didn't end his life. He just withdrew and went and stayed by himself and he started to doubt everything that he had seen. In my opinion, the passage of Scripture that we heard read just a minute ago was one of the most beautiful passages of Scripture in the Bible, but because it's the story of Jesus' first appearance to the disciples after, the, after he was resurrected from the dead. But Thomas wasn't there. Thomas didn't see it. Thomas wasn't involved with that because he had withdrawn from the community of faith. And the community of faith is where you are most likely to experience the miracles of the faith. If you don't stay involved with it, in all likelihood, you're not going to see some of the great miracles that occurs through the community of faith. And that day, Thomas missed out on the best news the world was ever going to hear. And so Thomas's friends went and told him exactly what they had seen. And Thomas absolutely refused to believe it. Why? Because Thomas knew that dead was dead. Thomas saw the facts with his own eyes. He saw that body hanging on a cross. He, he knew that Jesus had died on that cross. He knew where Jesus' grave was, and he knew that Jesus was in that grave. Thomas was disappointed and hurt and heartbroken. His his best friend was gone. All of his hopes and all of his dreams had been dashed. Jesus was supposed to be the Messiah, but clearly he had not become the Messiah. And now Jesus was dead. And Thomas thought he had wasted three years of his life. But now the disciples are showing up and they're telling Thomas that Jesus is alive. Thomas knew that couldn't be true because he saw that cross and he knew what dead looked like. So when Thomas's friends showed up and they started telling him this utterly preposterous story about how Jesus had gotten up out of the grave, 
Thomas doubted what his friends were telling him that day because that's what anybody would have done in that situation. If they had not seen what the others had seen, of course they would have doubted. No reasonable person on this earth would have believed what those disciples were saying that day unless, unless they had experienced it for themselves. So when Thomas' friends started telling him that Jesus was alive, Thomas did exactly what he should have done in that situation. He said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my hand to his side, I will not believe. Pay attention to what Thomas didn't say in this passage of Scripture. Thomas didn't say, you're all a bunch of liars, you're just inventing this story, and I don't want to have anything to do with you ever again. What Thomas was saying was, if this is true, I want to experience it for myself. Back in the 17th century, an English pastor by the name of Thomas Fuller coined a phrase that we use all of the time. He coined the phrase, seeing is believing. What most people don't know is that was only half of the phrase that he coined. What Fuller actually said was, seeing is believing, but feeling is truth. That's what Thomas was saying to those other disciples. He didn't just want to, to see the resurrection. He wanted to feel it. He wanted to experience it for himself. Thomas didn't want to just be in the vicinity of the resurrection. He wanted to be part of that story himself. Thomas didn't want a secondhand story. He wanted it to be his story. It wasn't that Thomas couldn't believe in the resurrection. He could. He knew that he could. In fact, he wanted to believe believe in it. He wanted Jesus to be alive, but Thomas didn't want a hand-me-down faith. Thomas wanted to feel the truth for himself. So Thomas was going to hang on to his doubt because doubt can be another word for curiosity, and curiosity was the only thing that was pulling Thomas back into miracle territory. It was pulling him back to that family of faith. I'm sure all of you have heard of Dr. Neil deGrasse Tyson. He's the most popular astrophysicist in the country because he can make something as complicated as, as the cosmos understandable to the average person. And he's a guy that's just funny. He's got a good sense of humor. What most people don't know about Tyson is that he and TV personality Stephen Colbert are very good friends. Neil deGrasse Tyson is an agnostic, and I'll have to give him credit on one thing. He can give good reasons for being an agnostic. He can articulate why he's an agnostic about as well as anybody I've ever heard. On the other hand, Stephen Colbert is a very dedicated Christian who was raised in a Christian home, but when he grew up and, and went off to college, Colbert became a convinced atheist, and he held on to that atheism for a number of years. One day, Colbert was walking down the street in Chicago during one of the worst times of his life. His career was not going well at that time. He had just had a relationship that had fallen apart, and he had been carrying around a grief that had been weighing on his life for years at that point. When Stephen Colbert was a little boy, his father and his two brothers who lived at home with him were all killed in in a plane crash in Charlotte, North Carolina. There were 11 children in that family, but the, all the others had grown up, so 
so Colbert had been left in the house there with his grieving mother who, who had just lost her husband and two of her children. And Colbert was grieving that loss as well while watching his mother grieve. And, and, and he had held on to that for years. Every time things would be going well, he would think of that tragedy that had come to his family and it would start weighing him down. Colbert was walking down this cold street in Chicago thinking of all of these things that were going wrong in his life when all of a sudden he looked down there was a Bible that was lying there on the sidewalk. And so he just leaned down and picked up the Bible and the Bible fell open to the Gospel of Matthew. And so he started reading the Gospel of Matthew and what he discovered was that every problem that he was dealing with in his life, Jesus had dealt with as well. And all of the answers that he was looking for, for the problems of his life were right there in that gospel. Colbert said that until this day, he doesn't even know how long he stood there on the street with people walking by him in every direction, reading the gospel of Matthew. But by the time he got finished reading what he was reading, Colbert had given his life to Jesus Christ again. And he said he couldn't wait to go back to church. He said he had not been in church since he was a teenager. He couldn't wait to get back in the doors of the church. One of the great untold stories of Colbert's friendship with Neil deGrasse Tyson is that they meet regularly and, and, and Colbert talks to Tyson about the faith. Tyson says that Colbert makes the best argument for faith of anybody that he's ever met. Tyson hasn't become a believer yet, but to quote Tyson, my doubt has become curiosity. And that curiosity keeps Tyson going back to his friend Stephen Colbert to talk about God. That's exactly what happened to Thomas. He doubted what his friends were telling him, but he has just enough curiosity to go back to that upper room with them where they said they had met Jesus because Thomas knew very well there's nothing about Jesus that'll change your life if the only place you ever are is in the vicinity of God. There are lots of people who believe in God and, and they go to church every Sunday, but they've never become dedicated, committed, self-giving, risk-taking followers of Jesus because the only place they've ever been is in the vicinity of a miracle. And Thomas didn't just want to be in the vicinity. He wanted to experience it for himself. A lot of people admire the story of Jesus. In fact, a lot of people admire Jesus, but they don't have their own relationship with Jesus because they've settled for less than a miracle. Instead of feeling the truth and experiencing the resurrection themselves, they've settled for less than the best. Thomas was not willing to do that. If his friends were telling the truth, if Jesus really had come back from the dead, Thomas didn't want to just hear about it. He wanted to experience it. And Thomas believed in his friends. If he hadn't, he wouldn't have gone back with them in the first place. He would never have gone to that upper room. Thomas had faith in those people that he had been traveling with for three years. In fact, he had just enough curiosity, just enough faith to get him back to that place where people said they had seen Jesus. That may not have been a big step of faith, but it was just big enough to get Thomas back to the vicinity of the resurrection. And in God's world, that first 
curious, doubtful step of faith can produce a mountain of hope. A week later, Jesus' disciples were in that house again, and Thomas was with them. And even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and he stood among them and he said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. And when he said that, Thomas looked at him and noticed without ever putting his finger in his nail prints, without ever putting his hand in his side, Thomas looked at Jesus and he said, my Lord and my God. Thomas experienced the resurrection that night. Jesus was alive and he wasn't just going to be the king of Israel. He was the king of the universe. He was the master over life and death. And Thomas knew the power that came to that room that night is the same power that can come to us. And if God can get a man out of a grave and turn him into the savior of the world, then he can certainly change the world he's living in. And Thomas wanted to be part of that change. Never again was Thomas going to be satisfied with just warming a pew on Sunday and listening to somebody else's story. Thomas wanted to be part of that story. He had seen the miracle for himself and, 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 and he wanted the whole world to know what he had experienced. So, Instead of just staying there in Jerusalem and working with the rest of the disciples to try to make a difference in that local area, Thomas left Jerusalem completely and he sailed to India. According to church history, Thomas didn't have the money to buy a ticket on a ship to go to India, so he went to an Indian businessman there in Jerusalem and he sold himself as an indentured servant to that Indian businessman for the right to be on his ship to go to India. He traveled with that business businessman back to India and while he was working there in India for that businessman he was telling the story of Jesus to everybody he could find anybody who would listen he would tell them the story Thomas founded a church there that's come to be known today as the Martoma Church or the Church of St. Thomas. And that church brought thousands of Indians to faith despite the fact that they had never heard of the Bible. They didn't even know that the Bible would exist. And even if, 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 if Thomas had carried a copy of the Hebrew Scriptures with him there, he couldn't have read it to them because according to church history, Thomas was illiterate. But he knew what he had seen and he knew what he had experienced and he told them what he had experienced and it made all of the difference in the world for everybody who would listen. In fact, one of the great stories of Western Christianity was when the Portuguese Catholic missionaries went to India in the 17th century to try to con convert the heathen to Christianity. When they got there, they were shocked that the Christian faith had been alive and well in India for 1,600 years, despite the fact that the Martoma Church had never heard of the Bible and they didn't even know that the Apostle Paul had ever lived. But they knew Jesus had lived and they knew the story of the resurrection and they knew how to change things because that man that the church called Doubting Thomas had shown those people the miracle of God's love by telling it and by living it right there in their presence. There's an old saying, people can argue with the Bible and they can argue with theology, but nobody can argue with the testimony of a changed life. 
Thomas's life had been changed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He had been changed by what he experienced there. And he went to India and he told that story and it made all of the difference in the world. Back in 1998, Dr. Bob Stompberger and I went on a mission trip to India, and one of the places that we went and did mission work was in Madras, that same city where Thomas had started his mission work there. <coughs> we had been in India for two weeks by the time we went to Madras, and for me, it had been a very hard trip. One of the reasons that it was a hard trip is all of the Indian food is very, very spicy, and my stomach just won't deal with that, and so I had managed to lose 10 pounds in 12 days. Now, it's not that I didn't have 10 pounds that I needed to lose. But I didn't want to lose it that way, and that is what had been happening. I just couldn't eat anything. The other thing that had happened is when we boarded the train in Madras to go, in Bangalore to go to Madras, I got robbed on that train just as soon as we got on it. So it, when we got there and got to Madras, I was not the happiest camper that you would ever want to meet. I was not enjoying myself, and I had not felt like I had done a very good job on that trip. The second morning that we were there, Dr. Stockberger started started doing medical clinics, and while he was doing that, our former pastor, Dr. Ray Allen, and I started doing a pastor school for the pastors of that region. Late that afternoon, we took a break, and so I went outside to walk around. When I did, this Indian pastor followed me, and he came up to me, and he said, what's troubling you, my brother? I said, oh, nothing. I'm fine. And he said, that may be true, but your eyes tell me something different. So I told him that I was struggling. I said, well, to tell you the truth, I don't feel like I've been very effective on this trip, and I guess I'm just feeling kind of down about it right now. And when I did, that man looked at me, and he said, brother, you don't have to be effective. He said, all you have to do is tell the story, live the truth, and let Jesus become the miracle. He said, now, why don't you just bow your head and close your eyes and let this brother pray for you a while. That was the moment when I knew for sure that Thomas's story had come full circle that day because not only had I experienced the resurrected king again through that brother that had come to me, but I knew what Thomas was all about. Thomas went there having no sense of being effective. He just went there to live the story and, and to tell what he had seen and, and to try to convince people of it. And he let Jesus be the miracle in that town. And things changed when he did. And things changed when I did. When I started letting Jesus live through me instead of worrying about being effective, it was amazing at how the next five days changed and became more. I wasn't in the vicinity of the resurrection that day in Madras. I was part of that resurrection just like Thomas had been. Jesus came to me that day through that Indian brother and the power of that resurrection lifted me out of my career, lifted me out of my doubts and, and it brought Easter Sunday to life to me that day and, and I suddenly felt as close to God as I had ever felt. Jesus Christ is the risen Lord. He's the King of kings and his power can change our souls and it can change everything in this world if we will just say with conviction what the Apostle Thomas said on that night when Jesus came to him, my Lord and my God. Let's pray together.
Lord Jesus, I know that Thomas felt guilty when he came and met you that night. He felt guilty over what he had done. He felt guilty over withdrawing from all of the rest of the people there. He felt the same guilt that Judas felt, but in a very different way. But Lord, you are the one who brings us the grace of God. You are the one who draws near us when we don't deserve it. You are the one who comes to be part of our lives when, when we don't even deserve to have you as part of our lives. Lord, you are the one who comes to offer us the hope of eternity. You are the one who comes to bless us with your presence. And so, Lord Jesus, I ask you to give us the ability to come to you today and to give our lives to you as fully as we possibly can. Help us be willing to say, Lord, I know you are what's missing in my life, and I know that I need you to be part of me. So come and live within me and help me to draw back near the rest of the people that are part of the faith and help me to know that by your power, we can be made different and the world can be made different and our work that we do with those around us can be different. Heal us from our guilt, O Lord, and give us the power of life through your resurrection. For it's in your name we offer a prayer. Amen. If you've come here today and you've chosen to give your life to Jesus Christ and, and have the depth of faith that was seen in the Apostle Thomas, then we'll be here at the close of the service. If you'll come and see any member of the church staff, we'll try to help you with the next steps of that faith. If you want to join our church and be part of our fellowship, we would love to have you. If you'll come, we'll help you with that as well. As we leave this place, let's go with faith in our hearts and let's go into the power of the resurrection and let's remember that wherever we go, Jesus is going with us and he'll give us the power to live fully for him. Now may the Lord bless and keep you and make his face to shine upon you and give you peace this day and every day, now and forevermore. Amen. God bless you, everyone.